Sí, señor. Good morning. Man, it's good to be with you guys. We were in Oklahoma last week in Texas, and we, uh, we, didn't, we, we didn't actually go to church last week. We were traveling on Sunday, and we didn't stop anywhere. We, we did uh, have a little worship time at my parents' house, and it was a little different than than we've done before. Uh, we, we sang some Christmas carols, and we read the Christmas story and remembered what Jesus had done and uh, God sending him to this earth. And then my niece had made a birthday cake, and we sang happy birthday to Jesus. And that was a little different than I'd ever done before. But uh, that, was, that was the only worship time that we were at as, uh, as far as a gathering of people. But I missed you guys while I was gone. And, and I want to say it this way. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I, I have a job here, right? And so I have responsibilities, and sometimes I got stuff I got to get done, I got to do stuff, and it, it's just, it's sometimes just hard work. And you step away for a little while, step back, and, and I just thought, what an honor it is for me to stand here uh, before you and to open up God's Word. What an honor it is for me to uh, get to be your preaching minister, to get to have you as my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ that I get to share life with. What an honor. I'm just grateful for all of you. Thank you. And those of you that are visiting, see, see some of you that are here from out of town uh, that have come and enjoying the holidays, we're glad you're here too and you're a part of our church family. Let me, let me just mention a couple of quick other things. The new year's here and things coming up, and then we'll get into preaching the Word. One of them is... Uh, there's a, there's a deal in Albuquerque called Weekend to Remember, Weekend to Remember, and it's a, it's a marriage conference, and we've been sending people to that for many years, and how many of you have gone to Weekend to Remember? Raise your hand if you've gone to that before. Okay, quite a few of you, and uh, that's been a blessing to a lot of people, and so that's going to be coming up again in Albuquerque on February 15th, 16th, and 17th, and so you and your spouse may want to think about going to that. Uh, we actually, our church, if you've never been before, our church will help you with the expenses to go the first time if you've never gone. If you've gone before, we let you pay to go back the second time. And there's actually quite a few couples that have gone and done that very thing. And so I would like to encourage you to be thinking about that. February 15th, 16th, and 17th, and we'll be having more details in the bulletin very soon with the phone number to call or the place to go online to register. And uh, Kim Chesser will be helping us lead that, so he'll be back in town here uh, in a week or so. Also, the other thing is, next Sunday morning at 9.30, that's during our Bible class time, we're going to have a teen and parent meeting, and anybody else who's wanting to work and help out with the youth group, we're going to meet next Sunday morning at 9.30. We're going to meet upstairs in the uh, high school classroom. And we're going to be talking about upcoming events. We're going to be talking about our youth ministry search. And I just want to make sure you know we're not just sitting back, you know, doing nothing. There's lots of work going on in that, lots of conversations happening. A couple of your elders took two days off work and drove, you know, eight hours into Texas to go meet somebody this week. And uh, so, so there's work being done. This process is going on. Your prayers are important, they're necessary, and they're working. God is working in all this. He's going to bring us just the right family to help our, our uh, church and our community. So please keep praying about that. We're starting a new series today. It's just going to be really short. It's going to last three weeks, and it's called The Weight of Glory. 
the weight of glory. And, uh, and, and I'm doing this because it's the new year. And it, it tends to be the time when we make uh, reflections on the past year. We think a little bit about the past year. And, and maybe we consider some changes for the new year. And whether that's good or bad, right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. It's not biblical or unbiblical, nothing like that. It just kind of seems to be what we do. And I thought during this time, during these three weeks, during the time of the year when we're making some of these resolutions and usually breaking them by about the third week, then I thought maybe we would just talk a little bit about some foundational things down below that. I really appreciate one person that I heard who talked about New Year's resolutions and was very honest about the New Year's resolutions that they had written out. They, they just said, here, here they are, 2006, my New Year's resolution. I will get my weight down below 180 pounds. 2007, I will watch my calories until I get below 190 pounds. 2008, I will follow my new diet religiously until I get below 200 pounds. 2009, I'll try to develop a realistic attitude about my weight. 2010, I will work out every day of the week. 2011, I'll work out three days a week. 2012, I will drive past a gym at least once a week. 2013, New Year's resolutions are stupid. That was, that was their uh, final deal. Well, I want to spend these three weeks of the beginning of this year thinking about some of these things. And I'll just let you know up front that I'm borrowing some of the thoughts and the ideas from three different sources. One of them is from C.S. Lewis. What a great mind. What a, just thankful for that Christian man and for the things that he's written down. And uh, also from a couple of uh, ministers that are here in the United States. One of them, his name is Matt Chandler, and another one, his name is Timothy Keller. And some of the thoughts of these three men and then studying in the Bible have led me to these three lessons that we're going to go through uh, coming up right here. I don't really want to tell you what to change in your life. I don't want to give you a list and say, here you go, here's your New Year's resolutions, A, B, C. You know, here's your New Year's resolutions, these five things. I don't want to do that. But instead, I would like us together to think about the greatest influence on any change that we might make in our life, and that is God. The greatest change that any of us might make in our life, the greatest influence, is God. He's the creator. He's the almighty. He's the king of kings. He's our savior. And he is the one who should lead us to anything we might change this year or at any time. In our life. So we're going to read Psalm 29, but just before we do, let's pray. God, thanks. Thanks for this church family. I'm grateful, Lord, for the time and place when we live that we're here with each other today. Grateful for my brothers and sisters. As we look back, God, some of us have had a great year. What a just the best year of our life. Some of us have had a horrible year. As we look forward, some of us have some silly minor changes we need to think about. Some of us have great hurdles to overcome this year, God. Lord, we pray that you would be at the center. Pray that you might be at the middle of our lives. We pray that we would leave today understanding your glory. 
maybe like we've never understood it before. Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us. We thank you for your word. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 29. Psalm 29. If you want to open your Bibles and don't have this on the screen today, if you don't have a Bible or don't want to read, then get ready to worship with your ears. Okay? Are you ready? Here we go. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry... What is the word? The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as King forever. The Lord gives strength to His people. The Lord blesses His people with peace. Here's language about the greatness of our God. About His power. That He is mighty. That He is big. His voice is like a storm. And when He has spoken, and when the storm has come, all the people cry out the one word that you did. Glory! All that could be said when it's all said and done. Glory! The psalm begins with a word, and the word is ascribe. I wonder if you could, I'll give you a challenge, try to use the word ascribe this week in your conversations. Good luck. Because we just don't use that word. Ascribe. I had to go look it up. I mean, I sort of intuitively knew what it meant, but I had to go look and see. Ascribe? What is this? It is to praise. It is to honor. It is to give something to someone. It is to stand in awe. It is to bring something to someone. It is to acknowledge what is true. And when we look closely at Him and what God has done, this is really not difficult for us to do. To ascribe to Him. To bring to Him. That's not difficult to do when we look and see who He is. That we would acknowledge that. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Maybe this helps Imagine if we were going to have a, a little football pickup game, you know? And, and just some of us here that like to play football, that we were going to say, we're going to get together, and Harlan, he's going to be the center, you know, and, and uh, we're going to get Mike over here, he's going to be, uh, you know, on the line, and we'll probably put Wyatt on the line right there, and, and uh, we'll get Cody right here, he'll be one of our running backs, and we'll get Kalama there, he'll be, you know, one of our uh, outside receivers, and, and, and we'll, we'll just, and, and then a lot of other people too, I mean, we'll kind of have some big people, but then we'll also just have anybody who likes to play, and we'll just go out and we'll have a good time. We'll have some kids, we'll have some teenagers, ladies will go play with us. Whoever likes football, we're going to go play. And let's say we were going to have, we're going to have fun, but let's say we were going to have a pickup game. We're going to play 
You know, like our brothers and sisters, they were going to put a team together like over at the Nazarene Church. And, and so they're getting their team together, and we're getting our team together. And we want to go have fun, and we have a good time, but we want to win, right? Okay, we're going to go have fun. It's just a pickup game. It's no big deal, but we're going to win. And, and just imagine if this happened. We practice a little bit. We're trying to figure out our strategy, but the week before the game, the week before the game with the Nazarene Church, guess who shows up and places their membership at Gateway Church of Christ? A professional quarterback, somebody like Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers or Tony, well, never mind. And, and, <laughs> and you just, you know, this person shows up, they're a professional football player, for goodness sake, and they show up and they place membership at our church, and we're getting the pickup game together this next week. You don't just randomly say, well, who do we think will be the leader? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You acknowledge, you recognize, you ascribe. They are the only choice. And so in awe, you hand the football and the clipboard to that professional player and you say, we'll do anything you ask us to do. And so it is with our God. That in awe, we would ascribe, acknowledge, recognize, give to. Ascribe what? Ascribe glory. That's another word we don't use a whole lot. It's a big word. It's used 300 times plus in our Bible. And to go and start reading all the places, it's rich. The study is rich and it's multifaceted. And even the word itself has many nuances and meanings. But today I want to emphasize one, one of those meanings about the word glory. And that is this. The word glory means weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. Density. Thickness. Heaviness. So if one thing has more glory than the other, then it is heavier. It is more weighty. So I have these two things here. I have, I have this piece of paper and I have this book. Which one has more glory? This one does. The book does. It has more weight. Maybe here's another way to think about it. If we took a big boulder and several of us got and we pushed it down a hill and it rolled down the hill and it fell into a pond, which one has more glory? The big boulder or the water? Which one? The boulder has more glory. And so if we drop that boulder into the water, what would happen to the water when that glory hit the water? Well, the water would be changed. The water would be upset and it would have to be rearranged. The water would have to ascribe glory to the rock. Would have to recognize the weight of the rock as it came through and landed right in the middle of the pond and so if we imagine ourselves as the water, then certainly when we experience God, He would have more glory than us, wouldn't He? Certainly He would. And yet, many Christians do not experience God in this way. For many Christians, they experience God not so much as a reality, but more as a concept or an idea, a thought. And it's good, 
And it's nice, but it's not glory. It's not heavy. And so God, in some Christians' lives, hits the water of their life more like a feather. It's good, it's nice, it's pretty. Some feathers are pretty, but not glory. Not glorious. For Christians who know God as a concept or an idea, He's like a, he's like a piece of cellophane. I could add him to the contours of my life. I could twist him around. I could make him fit. I could make him be what I want him to be because I have more glory than him. I have more weight than a piece of cellophane. He might be a nice addition to what I've already decided about my life. I'll just simply twist him to fit with all the beliefs, with all the values, with all the convictions that I already have. These are my beliefs. These are my convictions. These are what were given to me as a kid, or these are what I've settled on, and that's it. I've just decided, now, God can fit into that. And who has more weight? Who has more glory? I do. I have more glory than God when I live that way. I do not ascribe Him glory. We tip our hands. Most of us would say, well, I would never do that. John, what are you talking about? I would never say I have more glory than God. And yet we tip our hands sometimes when we read the Bible and we say, well, God God can't really be like that. I mean, like that, right? That verse, I mean, that. And we pick and choose. We pick the things we like out of the Bible. We choose the ones that are comfortable and that fit into what we already believe and think and feel and the way we live. And we find those and we pick those. And the ones that don't fit or that make us uncomfortable, we just set those aside. We throw those. We just say, well, I don't know. And we just say, I'm not going to read that part. And what are we saying when we do that? We're saying, I have more glory than you do, God. The creator of the universe, the king of kings, the almighty God, my savior, I have more glory than you do. Who are we talking about here? Timothy Keller, the man I was talking about a few minutes ago, tells this story about when he was about 20 years old in 1970. He was listening to a woman teach a Bible class, and she gave an illustration that changed Keller's life. This was her illustration. She said, she said if the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles from the earth to the sun. She said, if that was just compressed down to, the, to how thick this piece of paper is, that's 93 million miles right there, the thickness of that paper right on the edge. If it was all compressed down to, 93, uh, to one piece of paper, the distance between the earth and the next nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. Seven stories. Now, that's just to get to the next star. The diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. Yet the galaxy is nothing but a speck of dust in the whole universe. And the Bible says Jesus holds the universe in His hand, in His pinky. He holds it all together. And then she asked this question. Is that Jesus who holds all that together in the palm of his hand? Is that the kind of person you ask 
into your life to be your assistant or your co-pilot? I don't think so. And she told her class, I want you to walk around in silence for one hour and think about the implications of this for your life. Keller says that up until that point, he wanted God to be available to him. But he began during that moment to take sense of, make sense of God's reality and to experience his glory. We're not talking about your bud. We're not talking about the guy that lives next door. You could be friends with him or with somebody else. We're talking about the God of the universe. And when we know him as a reality, when we ascribe him glory, when he is heavier than me, then everything in my life changes. Nothing stays the same when he's heavier than me. But if we only know him as a concept, as an idea, as an addition to our world that we've already arranged, we've got it all set the way we want it, then we're not going to make any changes that come from him when we are more glorious than him. When God is a concept and he's not a reality, how we spend our money doesn't change. God doesn't change that because I've already decided the way I'm going to spend my money. And I'm going to find a few Bible verses that will support how I spend my money. And I'm going to find some Bible verses that support how much I already have decided to give. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter who God is. It doesn't matter that He's glorious and that He's heavier than me. None of that matters. I have made up my mind. He is a piece of cellophane and I will use His Word to keep doing what I want to do in my life with my money. When He is a concept and not a reality, our attitude at work will not change. The way we treat people will not change. When He is a concept and not a reality, what we teach our children will not change. I was raised this way. I'm going to raise my kids this way. And I'm going to find a few Bible verses that support the way I'm raising my kids. I'm just going to do it this way. When He is a concept and not a reality, how we treat our spouse doesn't change. The way we view our neighbors does not change. Nothing changes. Because we have more glory than Him. We have more weight than Him. We get to decide. And we just want Him to come along and support us. And that's where a lot of Christians are. God is just a concept. God is an idea. God is not a reality. But if we see who He is, all His weight and glory, if we meet Him face to face, if we acknowledge His glory, if we hand Him with all awe, if we hand him the football and the clipboard, if we invite him to fall full force into the middle of our lives and do with us anything he wants to do, then everything changes. Everything changes. Because when he's a reality, you are undone. You are rearranged. Everything in your life centers around him. And we want life here and now centered around Him because we are practicing for eternity. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. 2 Corinthians 4, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. 
For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. You see, Paul is saying, we have momentary problems. We have all kinds of things that hurt and things that are hard and difficult and horrible things that happen in our life. But compared to the weight of glory that we are headed for, they will seem as nothing. When He's a reality instead of a concept, when we ascribe Him glory, then these temporary things, they don't matter as much. They don't matter as much. Our identity is not wrapped up in these temporary things. Our identity is not wrapped up in the things that we own or the job that we have or the person that we are married to or anything like that. Our our identity is not wrapped up in that. Our identity is in the glory of God. When He's a reality instead of a concept, when we ascribe Him glory, then we will long to see Him face to face. We will long to know Him as He actually is more glorious than we can really know Him now. We can know Him a certain amount now, a certain amount of glory, but someday we're going to see Him face to face in His full glory. This is more of where Doug was reading from this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, a little later in the chapter, verse 42. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they'll be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they're going to be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they're going to be raised in strength. See, we're going to move from temporary things. We're going to move from the light things. We're going to move from broken things. Things like money and cars and houses. Those are light, temporary, broken. Listen, here's some more of them. These are light things. These are not heavy. Things like governments cultures, nations. Those are just like... It's about how heavy they are in the grand scheme of God's glory. Those are all temporary things. But we're going to be moving from these temporary things to thick, heavy, real, permanent things like beauty and peace and goodness, and holiness, and love, because we're going to be in the presence of His glory. A preacher named Dr. Criswell tells a story about boarding an airplane, and he met a man sitting next to him that was a Christian man. And the man began to tell him some story, a story about a terrible loss that he had had. His son had died. The boy had been at preschool. And he got sent home one day after coming down with a fever. And the parents assumed it was just another cold or a flu. But through the evening, the boy got worse and worse. And so they took him off to the hospital. And after running some tests, the doctors came back and gave the parents the worst possible news. Your son has somehow contracted contracted meningitis. And it's progressed beyond the point that they could do anything about it. And the disease will run its course and your son will die. There was nothing they could do. For a couple of days, the parents sat with their boy. They begged, they prayed, they implored God, hoping 
But the boy just got worse and worse, and finally after a few days, they could see that his body was too weak to go on. It was the middle of the day, and the boy's vision began to fade. He looked up at his dad, and he said, Daddy, it's getting dark, isn't it? Yes, son. It's getting dark. It's time for me to sleep, isn't it, Daddy? Yes, son. It's time for you to sleep. The professor explained that his son loved to have his pillow and his blankets just arranged just the right way. And he loved to put his hands like this when he would sleep. And so he fixed his son's pillow and he watched as the boy rested his head on his hands. And the boy opened his eyes and he said, Good night, Daddy. I'll see you in the morning. And the boy closed his eyes and he drifted to sleep. And his breathing became more and more shallow. And in just a few moments, his life was over. The man on the plane stopped talking and looked out the window of the airplane for a little while. When he turned back to Dr. Criswell, his voice breaking and tears rolling down his face, he whispered, I can hardly wait for morning to come. I can hardly wait. And the morning is going to come. The dawn is going to break. Glorious. Glory is coming. Isaiah says it this way. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you. And so as we try to determine what might change in our life this year, may we ascribe glory to Him. May we ask God to fall full force into our lives and rearrange everything that He wants to rearrange. Because we ascribe Him glory. I want to finish by reading to you a prayer or a writing of Mother Teresa. Amy shared this with me yesterday and I thought I just have to finish with this. And may we be people who can say something very similar to what Mother Teresa wrote. Who is Jesus to me? Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the victim offered for our sins on the cross. Jesus is the sacrifice at Holy Mass for the sins of the world and mine. Jesus is the Word to be spoken. Jesus is the truth to be told. Jesus is the way to be walked. Jesus is the light to be lit. Jesus is the life to be loved. Jesus is the joy to be shared. Jesus is the sacrifice to be given. Jesus is the bread of life to be eaten. Jesus is the hungry to be fed. Jesus is the thirsty to be satiated. Jesus is the naked to be clothed. Jesus is the homeless to be taken in. Jesus is the sick to be healed. Jesus is the lonely to be loved. Jesus is the unwanted to be wanted. Jesus is the leper 
to wash his wounds. Jesus is the beggar to give him a smile. Jesus is the drunkard to listen to him. Jesus is the little one to embrace him. Jesus is the dumb to speak to him. Jesus is the crippled to walk with him. Jesus is the drug addict to befriend him. Jesus is the prostitute to remove from danger and befriend her. Jesus is the prisoner to be visited. Jesus is the old to be served. To me, Jesus is my God. Jesus is my spouse. Jesus is my life. Jesus is my only love. Jesus is my all in all. And so, may all of us ascribe such glory to the only one in the universe who deserves that kind of glory. He is our all in all. Let's stand and let's sing. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool.